All right, well, today is part four. Part four of this season we call Tell Someone. Just say it with me, say Tell Someone. We started this, obviously, four weeks ago, and if you are new here, we do seasons, not a series, so we allow us to kind of flow within that, so we have a general topic that we're in and uh, allows us to flow. So I'm going a little bit of a, of a different way today, um, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm excited about sharing it with you. You know, many of us know the scripture, John 3, 16. We could probably all quote it. I bet if I started it right now, you could all jump in with me and say it with me. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, that's this one of the most famous scriptures of all time. It's one of the most Googled scriptures of all time. Y'all remember when Tim Tebow, uh, several years back, went out on that Florida field with his, uh, um, uh, on, the, on the black underneath his eyes, he put, wrote in white, John 3:16. It was the most Googled script, one of the most Googled things all year, and the most Googled scripture it's, uh, people are, are hungry to know what does God say? What is God saying to me? And in that scripture, we see something so vital to our understanding of who God is, what he does, and how he operates. Number one, that he loves us. He loves every one of us. And he doesn't just love you, the ones who are, are her same, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, and sitting in church Sunday morning. It's the truth. He loves your neighbor, the person that cussed you out yesterday, the one that cut you off in the traffic on Thursday morning and almost made you cuss. He loves them too. He loves you. He loves the world. And because he does, he sent his son. He sent his son Jesus to do what? To die. Now I don't have time to get all in the theology of that, of why he had died, but we needed a perfect sacrifice. So Jesus came. He didn't sin. He lived a perfect life. And because he did, he was the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross for you and I in our place. We say it often, we'll say it should have been us. It should have been us that, that paid that kind of price for, for our faults and our sins and, and, and our missteps between us and God. But because Jesus did, you and I can accept him as our Lord and Savior and we receive, everybody say salvation. When we receive salvation, it allows us to get back in what we call righteousness or right standing with God. Because we're in right standing with God, now we can come to God. Now we can pray to God. Now we can have a relationship with God, which is the whole reason you and I were created. You might think you were created. Some people even say, it. oh, I was born to do whatever it is. I like motocross. I used to, to race uh, growing up and all the way up through about high school, uh, like early, like junior year or somewhere in there is where I, I finally stopped. I don't know, maybe my senior year. But what, what I loved about it is the, the, the adrenaline rush. I also wasn't always the best at team sports. Well, I mean, I was okay, but I got frustrated when everybody else didn't carry their weight. Anybody else with me on that? So if I stunk it up on the motocross track, it was on me. If I did well, it was on me. If I did great, it was on me, right? And, uh, but there were always these guys that, that, uh, that you'd see that were just way better. I was joking the other day with somebody. I was telling them we were talking about racing, and, um, and we were talking uh, somehow about girls and motorsports. And I was like, man, one time I got smoked by a girl, and she was younger than me at that. And not that I'm against girls in motorsports, especially on a motocross track. It's actually very fair. And, and my dad gave me the hardest time. 
man, you let a girl beat you. I'm like, dad, man, she, she's been racist since she was, I didn't start until I was coming up with excuses, excuses. But if you talk to her, she would say things like this. I was born to do this. She started riding bikes when she was like two. I didn't start even riding a, a pedal bike till I was five. At two, she's riding a pedal bike. At three, she's on a motorbike. By four, she's racing. Remember, at five, I still hadn't even got on a pedal bike yet. You see what I'm saying? There are people that were born that they say that. I, I'm born for this. And it, it you know, can be from any sport or any career. People that are, are, uh, have a certain, they're really good at their career, whether they're a, a, a banker or a lawyer, they'll say, oh man, I was born for this. And I understand what they're saying, but in all reality, you and I were born for a relationship with Jesus Christ and God our Father. That's what we were born for. That's ultimately what we were born for. We were born and created to have a relationship with him. And then he gave us the command that we've been talking about for four weeks, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Amen? I want to ask you a question. You know, we quote this verse all the time. John 3, 16, we quote it all the time. We make it a, a, a mantra of our, our lifestyle as Christians, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, Whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know who said that? Jesus himself said that about himself. Most people can quote it and don't even realize who said it. Even better, they don't realize who he was talking to. They thought that most Christians, if you ask them, they would think he's just talking to all of us, which is true. But he was talking to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a very stark contrast to what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the woman in the well. Hopefully, you remember it. If you missed it, go back, catch the podcast, catch it on YouTube. Great message. We talked about her because Jesus had to, had to uh, uh, meander a big conversation with her, remember, to get to the point of having her realize she needed the Messiah. How many of you know we need the Messiah? Well, he was the Messiah, and he started out not by telling her, look, you, you know, you need me, and if you knew who I was, he just said, hey, and he, and he went through this whole conversation. It was great. Well, Nicodemus is like the stark contrast between her because, number one, she's a female. He's a male. Number two, she's a, a Samaritan woman. Nicodemus is a Jew. He was looked up to. He was a Jewish leader. He was looked up to. She was most surely looked down upon. He came, Nicodemus came at night. Jesus met the woman at the well in the middle of the day. Literally night and day difference between these two. And then also the whole approach. Because again, Jesus meticulously meandered this whole conversation with her. But when Nicodemus, Nicodemus came, and in John chapter 3, you see him ask a quick question to, to, uh, to the Messiah. And uh, I know we're looking at John 3, 16, but at the beginning of the chapter, you see there, he calls him rabbi. Nicodemus starts off, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. You see, a Nicodemus who's hungry. You see, a Nicodemus who's, who's looking for answers. He's the one that's supposed to have all the answers, but now in the middle of the night, he's coming looking for answers. And the reason I bring all this up is because as I get through the story, you'll see that Nicodemus not only eventually he gets saved, eventually we see he was one of the ones that went and got Jesus' body and all these different things. But we don't see that right away. 
And, and sometimes we get frustrated with people that don't respond right away the way we want them to respond. We get frustrated when we're like, okay, God, you called me to tell somebody. And, and here I am trying to tell somebody. Here I am trying to, to convince somebody that they need you. And I'm trying to live the right life. And I'm trying to do all this. And yet, just seems like I'm not getting there with them. But Nicodemus didn't immediately either. At least we don't see it. I don't want to speculate too much, but we don't really see until the end of the story, until the end of Jesus' life, that we really see Nicodemus, obviously, as a committed Christian. He had a lot on the line. So what do we know from this? That Jesus made a point. Jesus made a point to right off the bat, he just went for the jugular. Right, look, look, I mean, Nicodemus is talking about, hey, Rabbi, listen, I know you've come. Your, your miracles are great. I know why you're here. And Jesus just hits him with, most assuredly, I'd say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless somebody's born again. And then I ask a whole question. So now Nicodemus, who's a Jew, remember, he's a Jew. So he's like confused by this. He's like, wait a minute, what do you mean born again? And Jesus explains the whole thing. Unless someone's born of water and of the spirit, they can't be, they, they're not going to see heaven. So what does that mean? Everybody that we witness to, everybody that we want to see saved, if you have somebody that, that just tells you, well, I'm a, I'm a really good person, I'm glad you're a good person. But unless you're born of the water and born of the Spirit, you're not going to see heaven. And that's part of what we've got to convince people by the Scripture to do. Now, as I've said every couple of weeks, if you're not a Bible scholar and you're not the person that, 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 that can expand on all this, maybe you're a new believer, you're just somebody that's not well-versed. You don't need to feel pressure to overnight become a theologian and be able to, um, at your workplace, have these types of conversations with somebody. Eventually, I hope you can get there, but bring them to church where on a Sunday like this, I might talk about it. Or the Spirit of God might deal with them and handle it all on his own, as we've seen time and time again. You know, God can do things all by himself. I'm going to say it again. God can do things all by himself, right? He does. But there's one thing that he's asked us to do, and that for the remainder of time on this earth, as long as the earth remains, there's one job that he's left to you and I, and that's spreading the gospel. That's our job. These examples that I'm telling you are examples that Jesus did. Now, I want to help you out with this, though. Let's skip all the way down to verse 17. So what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, he gave his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if you're looking for things that, if you run into a Nicodemus, somebody who knows it all, somebody who's, who's got their life together. You know, we talked last week, you got the Samaritan woman. She's broken. She's hurting. It almost sometimes seems a little easier to appeal to them because they're so daggum lost. They're just, they're just hungry for, a, for a, 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 an answer. When you give them one, they latch on it. But then you have a Nicodemus sometimes that it doesn't seem that way. Or it doesn't seem that they'll just immediately uh, uh, respond. I mean, if you go through the whole dialogue, I mean, he's asking more questions. He's like put off. He's like, wait a second, what does this mean? But Jesus is telling them, okay, number one, I came to save you and everybody else. Number two, I did not come to condemn you. You need to let people know, Jesus didn't come to condemn you and I didn't either. If any of your conversations with your uh, friends, coworkers, uh, family, relatives, whoever, and you're, 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 you're coming across condemning, I've done it in the past, 
I've been guilty of it and I've had to repent of it and just try again because I don't I don't mean to, but that's not our job. If Jesus, let me just let me just put it as plain as I can. If Jesus did not come to condemn, then why would we condemn? Our job's not to condemn. Our job's to uplift, to encourage, again, to tell people the good news. To tell people, man, I've got good news for you. And there are people in your life that need that good news. There are people in your life that need to hear what you have to say. Now look at verse 18. This will help many of you today. Ready? He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe, notice this, is condemned already. Very important. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, he's talking about himself. He's explaining to Nicodemus while also explaining to every one of us 2,000 years later. And he's answering a question that I've brought up many times and that I haven't been able to get to. I've kind of helped you a little bit, but I want to give you real plain ammo today. Whenever, this is the answer right here to the question of why would a good God send people to hell? People ask the question all the time. People ask and they want to know, I don't understand. And I think it's probably one of the biggest deterring factors to people not getting saved or not accepting a life with Jesus because they don't understand what Jesus so clearly explained to Nicodemus on that night. He said, listen, you've got to understand, I came to get to bring life and to bring life more abundantly. I came not to condemn the world, but to save it. I came to save the world, not to condemn you. And here's what you have to understand. Put verse 18 back up for me. Here's what you have to understand, that every person on this earth, every human being that's living, every person that's doing this, listen, you know what they're doing? Everybody, everybody that's living, all of us are on our way to hell without Jesus. We're all condemned already. Look at this. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You're condemned already if you don't believe. And so anybody who's ever asked that question, you have to help them realize and recognize because you're not saved, because you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are on your way to hell. You're on your way to hell because all mankind is on their way to hell. And God gave us a lifeboat. God gave us a lifeboat to jump in, to jump on. Let me go back to the analogy I used a couple weeks ago. If you're in a burning building, or you pass a burning building and you see there's people in this building and they're burning. Everybody that starts this life on earth, if they don't get saved, there's a, you have, you're, 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 you're condemned. You're condemned because there's sin in your bloodline. And because there is, you have to accept Jesus who washes you clean and makes you as white as snow and who saves you because that's what he came to do is not to condemn you, but to save you. And so when you turn to Jesus and you say, hey, I don't want to live the life that I'm living anymore. I want Jesus. Jesus makes things right and turns the situation around and gets you back on, as I said earlier, righteousness or right standing with God. Let me just say it more plainly. Are you ready? God does not send anyone to hell. God does not send anyone to hell. The devil, the, the, let me just say it this way. Hell was created for the devil. And his deception of mankind has created a place where mankind will go if mankind does not accept or receive Jesus. God does not send anyone to hell. 
He's not sending you to hell. He's not sending your neighbor to hell. He's not sending anyone to hell. He's up in heaven and has created a system by sending his son to die for us, to shed his blood for us, to give us all a lifeline that if we'll just latch on to it and accept it, we'll go to heaven and then give us that have, have accepted it. Hey, go and tell someone. Tell someone. Let them know. That there's a lifeline, that they don't have to die in the burning building, that there's a Jesus who will come and carry him right out. Now, let me help you with something that's even better news than that for all of us. You're, you're valuable. Like, you're, you are way more valuable than you even realize in the kingdom of God. If you think about the job that God gave you, the job that he entrusted you with, it's because he values you. Because he loves you. Look, at, look, I have a couple of scriptures I want to share with you outside of the, the John 3 that we looked at. Ready? I want you to look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Sounds familiar, right? In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if God so loved us notice this we also ought to love one another if God so loved us we ought to love one another the love that God has shed on us has has shed abroad on us or has poured out on our lives is not just for us it's also so that we share with somebody else it's also so that we tell someone it's also that we spread the good news and spread the gospel and put the word out there. Hey, you need what I have. You need what I have. You need what I have. I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. But Jesus loves me anyways and has changed my life despite my shortcomings. And he wants the same thing for you. It's a, sim it's a simple thing. That's why I said last week, don't get into theo theological debates with anybody. It doesn't really matter. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad you feel that way. Well, how do you feel? Do you feel like you should do this or you should do that or the churches should do this? Maybe, but I know what we all need. We all need Jesus. Maybe not, but I know what we all need. We all need Jesus. Me, me, I, mean, me, I mean, do those things matter? Most definitely. They matter. But you know what? When my life's over here, there's one thing I'm going to answer for. There's one thing that ultimately I'm responsible for. Did I go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples? Now, my theology matters because how I make disciples will be based upon my theology. So it doesn't need to be sound. It doesn't need to be a sound doctrine. Those things do matter. But if I'm making a disciple with the light that I have, you know, people operate in the light that they have. You operate in the what I mean by that, the understanding that you have of God's word is what you operate in. It, when, you, when, you, when you start a new job and you, and you go on the job, they do on-the-job training, right? On-the-job training means that while you're training or while you're working, you're being trained for either that job or something else. Have anybody ever done on-the-job training? Several hands in the air, right? So you've done on-the-job training. Well, they do that so that they can get you up and running, and while you're up and running, while you're working, you're continuing to train and get better and get improved. And eventually, if you do well enough, well, they, might, they might make you a manager. 
in my hands, you more responsibility. Hey, now that you're doing this, I want you to also do that. Or well, now that you're doing this, we want to manage a couple people. Well, then that requires more training. Well, here's how you operate as a manager. And they do more on-the-job training and you grow. Well, now back in the first day when you started the job, unless you were already trained and experienced as a manager at the previous job, you weren't when you started here. Does everybody see what I'm saying? You operate in the light that you have. God's not holding you responsible for light you don't have. I, I can sit down because I understand the word the way that I do. Because I understand scriptures and I have a wealth of knowledge and I preach and I've done all the things that I've done. I can sit down in a coffee shop and have a theological discussion with somebody. And I would enjoy that. But most of us couldn't and I couldn't several years ago. And honestly, can I just be totally transparent with you? I'd have been scared to death of it. I would have been petrified if somebody would have said, well, how do you feel about it? And throwing out some, you know, I'd have just, I'd have, I'd have lost it. I'd have fumbled over my words. And, you know, that's why I've given you uh, help through this series just to remind you through this season, hey, just respond in love, number one, and then respond with another question. You know, I don't actually know much about that, but it's interesting that you said that. So do you, do you believe then in, in that? Because that's a, 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 a Bible doctrine. Do you believe in the Bible? Well, yeah, 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 I believe in the Bible. Okay, cool. And just latch on to something you can't agree with the person. Find some common ground. One thing that Jesus did with Nicodemus is he found common ground. Amen? Amen? So find common ground with people and remind them, hey, I'm valued. You're valued. You know what's so great about being valued by God, being loved by God? I want everybody to leave here encouraged with God loves you. Like God loves you so much, he gave you one of the most important jobs or the most important job, as I said, God can do, he, listen, the end times, God's coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. I don't want to get an end time message today, but he's coming back. Now, he's coming back. The timing for that, the orchestration of all that, God's going to do all by himself. Right? Okay? We're all clear on that. But in the meantime, what are we doing? We're telling somebody. We're telling someone. And God values us so much that he wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us and he wants to empower you. Hey, now go and share what I've done in your life with somebody else. Don't, don't, just, don't just hog it all to yourself. You ever have um, people that are just stingy? And what do we do with our kids? We teach them, don't be stingy. Madison, our middle child, she loves food. She loves, I mean, all of our kids love to eat. But she loves food. And what she'll do is she'll work the system to make sure that if somebody else didn't finish their food, she'll help them out. She'll make sure the food is finished for them, you know, because she loves them. And she comes to us now in words that she's so careful. I noticed that Josh, we call it, she, they, they, I try to not call him Joshy because now he's getting into, a, you know, like, like he's not a little baby more, his man is, He's a young man to me now, you know? And Joshy doesn't sound man, man, but she calls him Joshy. So, anyways. Joshy, Joshy didn't finish his, um, he didn't finish his cookie. And so I just helped him by finishing it. I'm like, no, you didn't help him by finishing it. You ate his cookie. And he's distracted right now with Legos or something. When he comes back, he's going to want to know where his cookie was. And now he's going to have an extra cookie. And now with the cookie I was supposed to eat. So you ate my cookie. Now, I'm not saying she's stingy, but you know what I'm trying to say. She's making sure she gets all the cookies or she gets all the stuff. You know, we can't be selfish with God's love. 
right? We got to share it with somebody else. God loves you. He values you. Let me tell you something else about how much God values you. You know, there's um, uh, something that we kind of use here at the church that helps us that I think will help you today. We say it this way. There's different functions in God's kingdom, but the same value. Same value, different function. Let me use uh, my marriage as an example. My wife and I have very different functions. How, who's married in here today? Just so I kind of know who I'm talking to. Okay, all right. So all, all the married couples understand if you're not married, you either know someone that's married or you understand kind of how this works. There's a husband and there's a wife. And I'm a firm believer. I'm sorry if you're not, but I'm a firm believer in man, woman, and that's the two genders and the two sexes, and that's how it was made and how it's supposed to be. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, I'm the man, she's the woman, all right? Now, I know different households do it different ways. I, I think there are stay-at-home dads that are great. That doesn't make you any less of a man as long as you're a man. There are stay-at-home moms. That's great. We both work. But because we both work, we figured out there are different functions that we have as husband and wife that work really well for our family. And because they work really well for our family, we've defined them out and said, okay, you handle this, you do this, right? And it just works really well. We've also figured out things through the years. Um, you know, we have different love languages. So some of the functions we have also help us love each other. Some of the things that I do as the, as the, as the a husband and as the head of the household, I do not only because it functions well in our family, but also because it, it exhibits love for my wife. Okay, I'm saying all that to say this, and everyone will agree with me. That does not make one of us more valuable than the other. I'm not any more valuable in the family than my wife, and she's not any more valuable in the family than I am. We have the same value, albeit we have different functions. In the kingdom of God, God values you the same. He values your neighbor the same. He values, you know who Reinhard Bonnke was? Reinhard Bonnke, was, he recently went home to be with the Lord. He had crusades where million plus people got saved. Million plus. Now, that may, I'm going to just be honest with you. In the natural, that makes me feel like an ant. That makes me feel like, what am I doing? I mean, I can look at the numbers and see how many people, because we've been doing a good job this year of really keeping track of how many people got saved to the best of our ability and how many people got filled with the Holy Ghost. So we've been really working on that, right? And I can look at those numbers and compare them to Ron Howard Bonke, and, man, I feel so insignificant. But when you read God's word, this is why you have to have a personal relationship with God because his word tells me that he loves me just as much as he loves Reinhardt. And you might feel that way. I guess that's why I wanted to, why I felt impressed of the Lord to share this with you this morning is, is because you might feel that way. As, as we've been talking about this and we've been talking for four weeks, we've been talking about telling someone and you might have even been trying it. You might have been going out there like, okay, all right, I'm inspired. I'm going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell somebody. And you come back the next Sunday, seven days later, and you're like, dang it. Another seven days and I didn't tell anybody. I, I don't want anybody, remember John 3, 17 and 18, Jesus didn't come to condemn you, nor the world. He came because he loves you and because God loves you and because God values you. And so, yes, it is our job to tell someone. Yes, 
I'm going to inspire you to do so. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that, that my whole job, my function as a five-fold five ministry gift is to equip you for that job. That's my job. So my job as a Christian is to tell somebody. My job as a pastor, pastor is to equip you to tell someone. All right? That's how it works. That's the God system that he designed. But I'm not any more valuable. God doesn't love me any more than he loves you. I'm not any more special. I'm not any more anointed. I'm not any more whatever because I have the same Holy Spirit you have. I got the same salvation you have. When I die and I leave this earth, I'm going to the same place you're going. Now, yes, we will answer for the things we do this earth. Yes, all that's true. But what I'm trying to get across to you today is that as you're sharing the gospel, as you're living your life, as you're being a husband, a wife, a spouse, a, a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member, a friend, you have to walk in the love that you have been given by God so that when you walk in and you've got something to share with somebody else. You've got love. You're loved. God loves you. He values you. He cares about you. You are special. You are anointed. You're called by God. You're blessed. You're highly favored. You're not, you're not minuscule or nothing in the kingdom. You just have a job to do. You have a function to do. And that function is awesome. That function is great. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian or any less special. Amen? Amen. God loves you. He cares about you. You're, man, you guys, you don't even realize how special you are. You don't realize how anointed you are. You don't even realize how good you have it. That's why don't ever let the devil lie to you, belittle you, tear you down, and tell you you're no good, you're not going to make it, you're nothing, you're nobody. Though Every time you feel sorry for yourself, it's the devil talking. I would write that down. That's really... Self-pity is, is, a, is a tactic that the devil will use to pull you away. See, if you don't feel loved by God, you're not going to have anything to share. You're not going to have anything to, to give out. Every time you feel uh, 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 negative about yourself or whatever, you've got to remember, I'm a child of God. I, I don't know. I don't know about the other guy. I don't know about the person that made me mad. I don't know about the person that upset my life. I don't know about the person that, that, that left me. I, I can't imagine. I mean, we're, we're happily married, but I know there are people in this room that are either in, in the middle of a divorce or, or have, have, have a, um, you know, maybe they're recovering from a spouse that cheated on them or who knows what. And because those things have happened to you, you can become identified with them and it affects your ability to share the gospel because you're identified with, I, 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 obviously I'm just blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is. But, but that's not how God sees you. For God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to not only save you, but to also save your neighbor, to also save your friend, to also save the person who did you wrong. And God cares about you. He loves you. I want you just to feel right now. Just let the Holy Spirit wrap his arms around you. Some of you just need a hug. You just need a God hug. You just need, you just need God to, to just love you and, 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 and lift your spirits up a little bit. Amen? Just to know, I'm going to wrap it up. You guys can come on up. I, I, I want you just to leave here encouraged by God.
encourage that. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, one of the jobs that he has, when Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away, because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will cover you. It's one of his jobs is to cover you. Again, same value, different function. The Holy Spirit's not any less valuable than Jesus or any less valuable than God the Father, but he has a function. And one of his functions is to comfort you. Let him comfort you this morning. Let, 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 let that just wash over you. God loves me. Everybody say that. Say, God loves me. We tell the, the kids back there in the nurseries to say it. Our kids will, will do it when they're little. You can, you can just start and you can say, God loves, and they'll, they'll point to themselves. And it's one of the cutest little things, and it's great. But we as adults have got to be reminded of that. Because I'm telling you that there are a lot of these things that I, that I bring up about depression, anxiety, or, or self-worth that I just covered. These, mo- these moments in our life are tactics that the devil uses to deter you from your ultimate job. And God values you so much that he gave you a job that only you can do. What's great is we're all doing it. So I'm not saying all the pressure's on you, but the people that you can reach, you can reach. And you can do it your way. You can do it with your, your, your pizzazz, your personality. You can do it because you're called to do it. You're equipped to do it. God has ordained you as a minister of reconciliation. Every one of us are ministers. Every one of us are called by God to make a difference. Every one of us are called. You, you are, listen, man, you guys are so special. You're so awesome. You're so, so you should leave here. See all those balloons out there? Everybody turn around and look at those balloons. You know how those balloons got that way? They weren't like that when they came in. They came in from Amazon.com in an air-compressed package, sucked so tight, I didn't know how they could even become a balloon. They looked, they were wadded up. I don't know, it probably only cost them about five cents to ship it because the whole package, all those balloons were like this big. And then you had to peel them all out. But then when you put them on the little balloon machine that my wife has, and I watched her do it, and fill them up with air, they inflated. And they have a whole different look. Some of them actually looked red. And I asked her after she got done, I said, did you blow up the red ones too? And she said, what red ones? See, they looked red when they were deflated and dried up and looked like a little prune. But then when they're filled with the air they're designed to have and attached and orchestrated in the way they're supposed to be, they look beautiful. You're beautiful. You have a function. You have a place. You have a a value. And God loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. And the things that, that, that you're uh, 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 developing in your life are because he loves you and because it's on the job training but it doesn't take away from the job you have right now it's just on the job training and the, the mishaps and the missteps and the struggles you're having in your life they're not from God God good devil bad Jesus came what? to save and not to condemn if you feel condemned it's not God it's not what he came to do. If you feel convicted, that's just the Holy Spirit dealing with you that, hey, I need to fix that. 
through the years, I've had the Holy Spirit just put things, put his finger on things in my life. Just put the finger on that. Just say, we need to fix that. And I know in those moments that there's a reason. I don't always know why I need to fix it. I just know I need to fix it. And you know what helps me with that? You know what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God has put something, uh, uh, put his finger on something in your life, to use that same uh, phrase, right? Hey, I need you to work on this. You know, the, the probably, I would say probably the main reason would be because there's somebody in your life that will be affected by it. Not only you, but somebody. So yes, it'll help you, but it also will help your friend. It also will help your coworker. It also will help whoever. When you work that thing out, it's a testimony. That, that song that, that we sang, I've witnessed it. And I'll tell them this. I'll tell them what I've witnessed. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, amen? Tell somebody. Tell somebody how good God is. Tell somebody how much God loves them. Tell somebody how much God loves you. Leave here today. Now, all the women are coming back tonight, and you're going to be, if you felt encouraged today or inflated like a balloon today, you're going to feel three times as much tonight. I got to um, be there in Georgetown yesterday for a little bit, and then I kind of hung out in the back and, and missed most of the meeting. Um, but Miss Cindy Black did a great job encouraging the ladies and blessing them. You're going you're gonna to be on another level uh, tonight. So come back at 5 o'clock. Be a part of that ladies' meeting. But for all the men and everybody else or anybody that might not can make it tonight, hear me. You are blessed and highly favored. You are anointed and called by God. You've got a purpose and a function, and God values you. He loves you as much as he loves the person next to you. He absolutely adores you. Stand up on your feet. I put this in my notes and I want to just leave it with you to go as you, as you leave. Ready? Second Peter chapter three. The Lord is not slack. He's not slack. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but he is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know if you guys are able to flip it over to the NLT, and I want to read verses 8 and 9. In the NLT, it says it this way. Y'all are going to love this. Ready? But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some people may think he is. No, he is being patient for your sake. He's being patient for your sake because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Remember what I was telling you? God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to know that God is good. You can leave it up there for just a second. Second Peter 3, chapter 9. God is not slack. God is not missing his mark. He, he's not late. He's not late to the show. Anybody says, well, why, why isn't God, if God did all this, why hasn't he come back already? Because he's not slack. Because he's patient. Because he's waiting. He's given us 
all an opportunity. He doesn't want any. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to know him. He wants all to feel the love that you and I feel. He wants all to have that kind of relationship with him. And the only way to do that is to give you time. To give you time to share somebody and for them to have time to respond. Remember, if they if they reject it, that's not your fault. Just tell them. If they don't want the water to drink, you can't force it down their throat. Just offer it. Just offer it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you say, I heard you, Pastor, and I, I need, before I can tell anybody else, I need that. I need to rededicate my life. I need to make things right with God for me. Then I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to pray with you. I, I, again, that's something my, my old job for being here is to inspire you, to equip you, and to pray with you. I can't wait to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Let me pray with you today. Don't leave here wondering, curious, with a, a, a fleeting thought that, man, I don't, I don't really know if I'm saved. Make sure you know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And there's Romans 8 tells us, or Romans tells us how we know that. How do we know we're saved? It's real simple. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That everything I said, the verses I referenced, the stories I told today, that those actually happened, that Jesus is real, and that he came to this earth, he died for you, he rose from the grave, Three days later, he's alive and he's seated in heaven. You, you confess that with your mouth. You believe it in your heart. And guess what? You're saved. You're made, you're made righteous with God. You're back in right standing with him. However you feel in your flesh, that's your flesh. But in your spirit, as far as God's concerned, he'll say, hey, that's my child. That one right there, that's my kid. That one right there, that's... You can take that verse down right now while I give everybody a chance to do that. Everybody with the head bowed, eyes closed. I know I've had your head down for a minute, but I want to give everybody a chance to respond to this. I want to ask you to put your hand up if you're one of these two types of people in just a second so that I know who you are, that we can pray together, and that I can get some material in your hands. If you're either one of these two types of people, let me know. If you're the type of person that says, I've never accepted Jesus. I've heard about him, but I don't actually know that I've ever prayed the prayer of salvation. Or if you're somebody who has prayed that prayer, did at one time make a decision to serve God, but you've gone astray. You, you, you've, you've left the mark. You need to rededicate your life. You need to recommit. If you're either one of those two types of people, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and let me know. That's me, Pastor. One, two, three. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Anybody else? I see your hands. I see your hands. Okay, praise God. All right, here's what we're going to do. For the sake of time, everybody look up at me. For the sake of time, I have, I have a gift. You guys will give me three of those salvation packets. I have a gift I want to give you, and I want to pray with you. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray with everybody, all right? But the Bible says this, unless you confess me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. That's basically what he says. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. You need to make a public confession. There's several ways you can do that. You can do it through baptism. You can do it through different things. Or you can just do it by just telling people, I made a decision. All right? 
So for the sake of time and doing, I normally have people come down front. I'm not going to do that today because we've got to turn everything around for this event. But I'm going to pray with you and then I'm going to be down front. While they start tearing this room around and getting ready for the event, I'm going to be down front and I'm going to have the salvation packet ready for you. Come see me and I'll, uh, anything else you need prayer for, I'll pray with you. Right now, here's what I want to do. I want to pray with everybody. We're going to all pray together. Everybody pray with me. Amen. Including those that raise their hand. Say this, say, Heavenly Father, Today, I make you my Lord and my Savior. I confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that your son Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, a sin-free life, but died on the cross for me. I believe on the third day he rose from the grave. I believe he's alive. He's seated in heaven with you, my heavenly father. Today is a new day. I repent of my sins. I turn from my past. I leave all that behind. I ask you to come in my heart. Make your home in me. Help me become the person I'm supposed to be. The man or woman I'm supposed to be. Help me change from the inside out. I give my life to you. I make a commitment today to serve you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen.